Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. Today we are live from London. Well, my guest is calling in from London, but I'm still in southwest Louisiana. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and I am delighted to welcome back to the show Steve Cochram for part two of our discussion about developing communication and emotional intelligence. And I strongly encourage our audience to listen to part one. You can find it anywhere on the Internet. So as the co-founder of Giant Worldwide, which is a global technology company that focuses on leadership consultancy, Steve is dedicated to empowering the leader and everyone. Steve, welcome back to your Partner in Success Radio. We were having an amazing virtual green room conversation, and I kind of like to pull that in before we get started. So, But welcome. It is so nice to have you back. Oh, Denise, thank you. I, I, I'm honored to be invited back. Usually, if I'm invited back a second time, it's usually to apologize. So I, I hope I didn't say anything too untoward last time. And uh, I look forward to continuing our dialogue, which I, I enjoyed immensely. So thank you. Well, as I've shared with you, I have no filters. So we, we're probably a perfect <laughs> match here. So we were talking in the, the green room, and I have to go ahead and admit this to the world at large. I rarely have butterflies in my stomach when I'm about to get on my podcast. I'm always very excited to meet and, and chat with people from all over the world. But for some reason, I had a little bit of stage fright, and I was sharing that with you, I think because I was so startled by it. It's like, what happened here? But you explained to me why that might be in, a, in your inimitable way, and you were talking about using big words. So let's go back down that road for just a moment. <laughs> well, what I shared, Denise, with you is, is – one of the things that, that people often misunderstand is that because we share the same language with America and Britain, we share the same culture. And one of the best books I've ever read on this was uh, from a French psychoanalyst called Clotaire Rapai, who is easy to find if you look on Amazon. Every American I know hears French and psychoanalyst and goes, no, no, until I tell them he's on retainer with half of the Fortune 50 companies. And then all of a sudden, Americans are interested. And the biggest thing that he did was he showed us that each culture has a prevailing culture code that you have to understand if you're really going to relate to it. So America, in your mother's milk, every American carries with them something called the American dream. And you are an adolescent country, according to Rapai. What does that mean? Well, it means that basically you are always within you. The dream is to go and build something, to go and take your flag, to stake your claim, to do something pioneering. It's why every American has like an entrepreneurial side hustle. Because in the end, you are wired to go for a dream of doing new things. But also, and this is not just to do with how old you are, it's to do with your culture. Adolescents are unbelievably talented, huge amounts of energy, believe anything is possible, but prone to occasional bouts of introspection and self-doubt and need that attaboy or girl 
from an authority figure like a loving parent. So in a sense, the reason why most Americans listen and really respect the British voice is because you associate at a subconscious level the British with your parents. And parents for an adolescent, the last thing you want is a parent in your world every day telling you what to do. But what you want is a safe place you can come back to when maybe the pioneering has got a bit um, dangerous. And in the end, there's this calm, reassuring, permanent presence that says, do you know, Denise, you can do this. I'm for you. I believe in you. Let me give you a few pointers, a few resources, and then I send you off again. So the whole coaching methodology that I've used over the years, whenever I work with Americans, I make them know I'm always available to them, but I almost always have nothing more than a weekly hour that they can use if they want to. So the reason why you're a little bit, I don't know, starstruck, I find that hard to believe, but there we go, is that you actually associate me, my voice, which sounds very, very clever to Americans, with a parental figure. So that's why, you know, and if you come from other cultures, he contrasts America with the culture code of other places like the UK and France. So I should be on commission for his book, but I hope that gives you some clues. I, I, am, I am hopefully um, reasonably well educated, but the British accent also then means I get to get about 20 extra IQ points with the average American. So that's probably why I do a lot of work in the States. I think I agree with you. Listen, I read, and like I was telling you in, in the green room, I find fiction from the UK, from England, I'm not sure what the difference is there, you can correct me, but I find English literature fascinating, English comedy terribly funny. I don't like American comedy. I think it's crass, rude, <laughs> downright nasty and I don't pay much attention to it. If I do watch any kind of television, which I don't, I have to watch it through Prime. You know, I go to Acorn, I go to BritBox, I'm not watching American mm. garbage. And I am American, but it's garbage for the most part. <laughs> and like I was telling you, I'm so fascinated by everything in your culture that my mm. my uh, nav navigation system has a she's a lovely English voice. I argue with her. She's not the boss of me. She'll tell me to turn left, and I don't. But but I did tell you, you know, at one point I changed it to a Cockney gentleman, and I couldn't get rid of him quick enough. I didn't like him none. <laughs> well, here's the thing you see. I always say to my American friends, I say, there's only one thing in the world that you haven't overtaken us with now, and that's history. Because we mm -hmm. have thousands of years of history. You yeah. have thousands of years of history, but most Americans don't actually start their American history until much closer to the current day. So in a sense, you know, that's the one piece where there's just this huge curiosity with the, almost the historic culture that Britain represents. I mean, it still amazes me that one little country in the middle of the Atlantic, at one point the sun didn't set on the British Empire. You know, so that's, I think Americans appreciate that as kind of that entrepreneurial, and it was obviously, you know, trade, and particularly shipping, which allowed the British Empire to be so successful. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully Americans learned the best from what we did, and obviously has now gone on to be far greater than, than we were. But, you know, they're, 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 so always, I love culture. It's always fascinating. Whenever you go anywhere, to try and understand why the culture is what it is. I often ask people, who are the heroes in the culture right now? 
because that often tells me a lot of what's going on, particularly with the young people. Who are your who are the heroes in America that people are looking up to right now? And I, I once did it. I mean, you told me to shut up at one point. I did this once in Germany, round a table with some execs I was working with for a couple of days. So, so guys, who's the heroes in a German culture? Who does everyone want to be when they grow up? And there was a silence. And I'm going, well, it's not English because your English is better than mine around the table. And in the end, somebody said to me, um, the Angela Merkel, Mooty, mother. And I'm like, really? That's the, what about sports? What about heroes? And do you know what it came down to, Denise? Was they said, in their mind, popular heroes are dangerous. Because in the end, the only way you could be a hero was either to be dead or somebody who was quite old and had been proven for a period of time. Because they actually said in the culture, the last time we had a charismatic hero, it turned out that it didn't go so well for us. And then they tell me, Hitler yeah. was Austrian. Hitler was Austrian, not German. And there's just a great example of where actually just being a culturally interested person, it's amazing what you can discover. And, you know, I, I'm one of these few people that go, I'm a Britain in exile. I'm an American in exile in Britain with a British passport. So I love your culture. Having lived with America and worked in America for many years, I love the positivity, the can-do attitude, the meritocracy. So maybe it's just we're all a bit harsher on our own culture than perhaps we are on the ones we, we enjoy engaging with the most. But, yeah, I hope that's helpful. And that makes sense. And, and that leads me to, because we're talking about coaching and we're talking about communication and emotional intelligence. And culture is I think, and I agree with you, the biggest part of it, if you don't understand the person that you're speaking with or listening to, where do you start? I mean, you've got to have some understanding <laughs> and some EQ about it or you know, emotional intelligence about it. In America, oh, and I love America, yeah. don't yeah. get me wrong, I love America, but we're, kind, we're brash. And we will tell, I will tell you, don't tell me what to do. Don't even back up back up now and I'll tell it straight to your face I think many of us are like that but the problem with that Steve is it it puts up that barrier almost instantly that I have to instantly say okay sorry about that let me understand what you're saying to me do you see that <laughs> oh totally nothing oh, totally. 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 anyone anyone who talks about an American culture doesn't understand America because America has multiple cultures you know, oh, yeah. and each state truly really believes it's the best it is. I always say the hardest role in the world to play, Denise, is the American Southern woman. And uh, again, <laughs> I play one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the rules for the American Southern woman: that you you're supposed to keep a perfect house, a perfect family with children that are a credit to you permanently. You're supposed to basically have a entrepreneurial side hustle look stunningly beautiful for every day of your life, no matter how old you are, and basically also be deeply committed to serving in the local church and the local philanthropic community. And I say, it's no wonder that they're all on some kind of medication on the whole, because nobody in their right mind can ever meet the impossible standards that are placed on the American woman. We lived in Pawleys Island in South Carolina for three years, and uh, it amazed me that the boys got away with so much, whether it was hunting, golfing, fishing, whatever we did at the weekend. It, Helen looked at me and she said, Steve, don't even think 
that that's going to become normative in our marriage. So I always say whenever I meet Southern women, I look at them and go, you're incredible. And I think the thing is, Americans, you don't expect me to know everything about your culture. But the fact I know something about it and I value it, you know, I learned very quickly. If you wanted to commune with the average American male, you had to speak American football, a little bit of baseball, and a little basketball. Because, because that's the vocabulary and language. And because I've always kept, I've always learned the cultural vocabulary and language, the fact I can talk about which teams and who's been traded, they don't expect encyclopedic knowledge. But what it does is, in that emotional intelligence, they go, you're honoring my culture. Mm-hmm. Therefore, actually, I receive that as a, a warm invitation because they're seeing that emotional intelligence. They may not articulate it this way, but if you honor someone's culture, they're always more predisposed to be warm to receive you because we can be rude about our own culture, but we often get offended when someone else is rude about our culture. Same happens, by the way, with extended family. We have a rule in our family. We can be rude about our own parents, but if somebody else is rude about them, it doesn't work so well. So honoring culture is one of those ways that people will find that's a real emotional intelligence 101 for me. You forgot something about Southern women. We cook with butter. And honestly, (laughs) this is a God's honest truth. You'll see if a woman, and I'm not actually joking about this, we will try to kill our husbands with butter. If we've decided we don't like them anymore, if you see a southern woman constantly saying, well, you want some butter on that biscuit, she's killing him. It's not going to show up in the autopsy as a weapon. So just be aware. (laughs) I absolutely love that. It makes total sense. I don't know, um, you know. Even the sugar goes in the bread. That's the bit that killed me. But hey, hey we, we honestly, I love it, and I, I wish I wish the borders would open again so we can come back. But uh, yeah, no, an absolute uh, su- such a treat learning about how other people function. And southern chicken, southern fried chicken is just really again none of it's healthy, Denise. There are a lot of no. healthy food. I guess collard greens, um, maybe one of those things. But you know, most no. of it, most of the stuff I really liked was not particularly healthy for me. Oh, it's not. Fried catfish, fried fish, fried everything. Gumbo. Gumbo's the best thing in the world, bar none. (laughs) Now I'm getting hungry. Okay, so let's (laughs) let's talk about, because it is important when you're coaching or when you're having a Mm -hmm. podcast, whenever you're communicating with someone or attempting to communicate, one of the biggest things I think is to honestly shut up and listen. What do you say? Mm. I say I, I wish I was better at it, Denise, but you're right. So we, Giant has constantly created visual tools to help educated 13-year-olds lead more effectively. So the tool we have is called the boomerang effect. You know, it's a picture of boomerang, and it says this. It says, learn to be interested before trying to be interesting. So that's a little axiom that I always try and carry with me where I'm always saying, I want to try and be interested in somebody else and their world first, and then let them ask me the questions that allow me to be interesting, hopefully, in what I have to share. And the danger is, is what we call the boomerang effect. Now now you've heard it, and the people listening have heard it, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize it. When you're talking with someone, and whatever you're talking about, 
they automatically take what you said and bring it back to being about them and their world. Well, yeah, I know somebody like that as well. Or that reminds me of a story about me. So um, in that ability to be present with people, but also that the beware the boomerang effect, particularly for personalities like me who like to talk, you're probably much more the other way around by nature, Denise, from last time. But learn to be interested before trying to be interesting is one of those little axioms that, again, my kids use on me. If I get it wrong, they go, oh, boomerang, Dad. And it's, it's a bit like going, I love it because it's helping them grow their emotional intelligence while they're still, you know, 10, 17, 21, whatever they may be now. We talked about this a good bit in the last um, episode. So, again, to our mm-hmm. audience, go find that and go listen. So our voices. We talked a bit about our voices the last time you were here. And I just mm-hmm. took the uh, – I just spent 30 minutes on your website and took the, the Our Voices – I don't know. What is it? A, it's not a program, but I answered 80 questions. Now yeah. I'm conf- yeah. now I'm really scared. I don't know what the answer is going to come back because a lot of them I would say, oh, I'm very de- you know this one definitely mm. right. This one I don't know. So it'll be curious to see where I land on that. Have you not had your answers back yet? So you should you should get an email almost immediately telling you. But um, it's I think the thing is we've evolved it over the years. Where in the beginning it was like a quick quiz. We've done a lot of work to validate it as an assessment now. And it, in some ways, it, it's, it's probably, for most people, I reckon about 85% of people who take these will come out with what I would call their nature. So that is truly who they are on the inside. The thing I'll always say to people, and I probably said this to you last time, is every assessment is more limited than the person who wrote it would like you to believe. Because in the end, however much you may answer the questions as honestly as you can, Every time you are thinking about what your behavior is, there's a complex mix of what we call nature, nurture, and choice lying behind the reasons why you're answering and behaving the way you do. So nature is who you are and were made to be genetically DNA, but nurture, that external environment of your upbringing, gender, ethnicity, faith, successes, failures, schooling, all of those things to these play a significant role, often at an unconscious level, certainly a subconscious level, why we behave the way we do. So any assessment is more limited, but I always say it's a great coat to try on. It's not a box to get stuck in. And that makes sense. And you know what I was doing, Steve? I was going through it because there are 80 questions, and I wanted to do it before I got on the, the call with you. And I caught myself going back to high school, you know, when you have these multiple choice and you pick one you go no that's not right and you go back and you choose another one and I did that a few times and then I would double double think that so (laughs) I had to tell myself there's no right no wrong just answer it no but there's a lot of ought and should in nurture and in the southern woman there's a lot of ought and should so I say to people is nurture will always override nature in early life. So our desire as children is to please authority figures. If there's been abuse, then you know, ignore that because that's not a helpful statement. But every child is really growing up with a desire to go, what, is, what do I do that gets affirmation and applause? What is it that 
gets me time with or affirmation from from those who are the authority figures that are around my life. So you'll always find that children will default to whatever the, uh, the, the authority figures want them to be and do if they're not careful. And that's the reason why I would say to people with parenting is the most important thing for children is to know they're loved unconditionally and it's okay to be them. And that's one of those ones, again, for, you know, talk a lot on this of going, actually learning how to go to your child's world to understand the world they're looking at and how they're wired is more important than just going, because daddy loves football, you'll love football, or because, you know, mummy's in the military, you're always going to have shiny black shoes when you go to school. So it's, again, this just incredible ability, I believe, if you're prepared to do a little bit of work, to really be able to calibrate your engagement with people in every area of your life in a way that actually leads to a greater sense of connection where people are able to receive you. And in many ways, your influence grows. And influence is such a, a valuable commodity. It's way more important now, by the way, than positional leadership. And one of those things, the reason why communication and emotional intelligence we talked before is actually so essential if you're going to have the levels of influence which you need to be able to lead and do the things you want to do. So, you know, forgive me if I sound like I'm preaching again, but Denise, this is my, this is one of my absolute passions in terms of helping parents think through how do you give kids the best possible start in life is often by going to their world rather than seeing you know exactly what's right for them. I don't know what your thoughts would be on that. Um, I agree with you. I see, and I'm not a parent, but I see a lot of people that, this is going to sound very American, but I'll I'll see them letting their little darlings just run like little savages all over everybody in their path. And, you know, I I don't want to smack the kid. I want to smack the parent. Seriously. Well, I kind of want to smack the kid, but, you know, I often will have to stop myself and saying, can you take that little animal outside? You have not taught it anything. You shouldn't release it out into the world yet. It's wild. I don't say it because, <laughs> because I don't want to get my butt kicked. And this is the South. It'll happen. <laughs> but I think it an go. awful lot. And then when I see really smart, well-behaved kids, I'm looking at the parent going, good job. So there's that. Oh, I, anyway, it's not an easy job to do, and I, I, you know, but I think it's, people are always asking for, see, give me something simple that I can actually apply, and I, I think, I would say that you can be simple without being simplistic, and I think that lear, taking the time to learn, to realize that you're, the people around you are wired differently to you, and doing the work to understand that, well, hang on, if, if Steve's a pioneer connector, and I'm a nurturer guardian, what does that actually mean? And how can I create the context where communication and connection can happen in the most effective way? I mean, just assuming other people are like you never works. It doesn't work in any relationship. Occasionally, you'll have a friend or two that are just like you and you get away with it. But most of the time, people are undermining their influence every day just by assuming that actually ah, other people are a bit like me, really. And see, I never make that assumption. I don't want anybody to be like me. I'm unique. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not saying that you're in a cocky kind of way. Well, you're uh-oh. not normal. 
if you, well, look, at, if you look at the influence you have, you have, well, you know, let's be, I know you'll find this more difficult. I think nurture was near the front for you, but so therefore people being nice to you and paying you compliments is harder than it is for you to receive than it is for people like me. But I go, if you look at the influence you have and you look at the amount of work you've done to create the platform you have, you would not have been able to do that without actually having a, a huge degree of emotional intelligence, disciplined hard work, and the ability to connect with people. The reason people love listening to your show is because you find hopefully very interesting people to talk to, but you also have an amazing way of drawing out of people what it is that's in them. And it's it's so easy to listen to. I love listening to you. It is it's you're you're just consummate professional what you do. And you're Thank not you. normal. So therefore <laughs> therefore you just need to realise that. I had to own that I'm not normal either. Who wants to be normal? That's a setting on the dryer. Nobody wants to be normal. <laughs> I don't. Agreed. Agreed. I really don't. Thank you. And, and you're right. It's difficult for me to, and I'm having to train myself. Somebody will say something just lovely as you did, and I'll go, oh, great, thanks, and pass by. I am listening to you, and I'm taking the time to say, I really appreciate that. And I'm going to sit with that a little bit later and, and go, hmm, because it's very important for people to hear things that we don't we don't know about ourselves, or if we do know about it, we don't pay much attention. It's like, oh, it's just how I operate. So thank you. It's, it's so good. So here's the thing. It's really hard for people to value their unconscious competence. So you think mm. about that for a moment. The things that yeah. we spend thousands of hours becoming hopefully world-class at, we don't value because we don't have to think about it anymore. You almost always are able to value what you observe in other people doing it than you are in the mirror. Conversely, it's also really hard to multiply unconscious competence. That's the reason why some of the most gifted people in the world often struggle to apprentice and develop other people because they don't understand why it's difficult. I would say that you have to make your unconscious competence conscious competence before you can multiply and scale it and you know you know for those those of us who are committed to that multiplication piece i've always got to have apprentices around me people working with me denise because they ask the questions that pull on the unconscious competence to actually make it scalable and learnable from other people it's like trying to describe the end of your nose and if you try to say Somebody said to you, Denise, what makes a great podcast host and interviewer? You'd have a go, but you wouldn't be able to describe the end of your nose in the way that somebody who observed and watched you and worked with you for a period of time would be able to ask the right questions and describe what you do far more accurately than you do. Good point. I mean, I, listen, I've been doing this for 13 years, and to me, it's just a perfectly normal way to communicate with the world yeah. at large. As anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I am a highly committed introvert. I'm not shy, I mean, and I don't have any filters, so you don't want me out in public a whole lot, but I get to meet people like you from all over the world, and frankly, and I've shared this with you before, I consider you, my guests, to be my mentors. I learn far more from you than you do from me. Yeah, well, I, I, I hope that's true. Um, I, I think, um, but it takes a level of humility 
and self-confidence to actually be prepared not to be the star of the show. So, I mean, that's, I, if you said to me what makes the best interviewers, the most best host, they truly are committed to be interested before they're trying to be interesting because it's almost like it's, it's not necessarily about you. And for a lot of people, they, they don't get past it needs to be about them. Maybe that's, you know, that's one of your unconscious competencies, I suspect, Denise. I, you know, I never even considered that. I'm just here to learn from you. So I've got homework to do, apparently. <laughs> Here's the thing. I do Thank love you. the fact, though, that you can receive a compliment and not just brush it off because it is our tendency to do so. I mean, the thing, one of the things I'm most grateful to Jeremy for, I know you've had on the podcast before, is he brought, as a connector first voice, the discipline of celebration into my life and into when we shared a home together for Hannah and I with the, you know, their family. And here's the thing we've always done is we've learned how to celebrate each other around meal tables. And for a Brit, by the way, it's even harder than Americans. So we'll have a celebration dinner and the people in the room will often go, if it's somebody's birthday or a special occasion, we will go, you know, we're going to go around the room and each person's going to be able to say something that they want to celebrate and be grateful for about this person. We've just had Helen's a significant birthday and just with the girls around the table, just being able to go and have dinner and go, this is what we most appreciate about you. We all find it slightly awkward, particularly the Brits who are used to some of that more cynical humor. But, you know, when people take the time to offer encouragement and to say, this is what I value most about you. This is what I see in you. This is what I want to celebrate. And I, I encourage every team to start every meeting with celebration rather than anything else because it changes the culture of meeting. And you just go around and you go, what is it in the last week? What are you really encouraged about? What do you want to celebrate? Because celebration has a way of reframing culture. So we use it a lot. I teach teams how to use it. Even some of the most cynical, cutthroat, commercial teams who've never done this before, least, once they get into the distant habit of it, find it's, we're, we actually, we're wired to be critical of ourselves. Oh, and yeah. it's amazing when people are prepared to speak words of affirmation and encouragement. So, again, that's so not me. You know, as a pioneer, I, I, I had to learn this. What I've watched is, being mentored by Jeremy in it, I've seen the power of it, and I've seen the liberation it brings people. And therefore, even though it's not very British, we've adopted it into the practices of how we function as a team and as a family and I recommend it to anyone who's who's kind of maybe a bit more critical maybe we'll talk about this with the communication code in a moment but where your default is critique you'll never create the environment where the people around you feel they get to be the best themselves is this something I'm going to answer my own question hang on I need to cough there this seems to be something this level of communicating and celebrating one another and saying that we're celebrating you and why. This is fairly new, isn't it? Maybe just in the past seven, eight, nine, ten years. We didn't used to be like this. And I say we as it's kind of a worldwide thing. We would, you know, get our little position. We would get our corner office. We would go to work every day. Wife <laughs> go pick up the dry cleaning. It was kind of rote. Nobody, as far as I recall, had the need to say, hey, 
great job. I mean, I'd like to hear more about that. We were just saying, how are you doing at the water cooler and keep on going. How far off am I? I don't think you're far off at all, Denise. I think that I, I would go so far to say I still don't think it's common, even in the culture we live in today. I think right. what's happened is, I think I don't meet many people who do it naturally. I think people have learned the power of it. And I think a lot of it was to do with the fact that if we move from, you know, if you think of the move from the industrial world, where actually things were very task-focused, very hierarchical, very structured, you, you served your years, you got promoted, you became a supervisor, a manager, and maybe you might get to have an opinion at some point that was valuable. And I do believe that one of the things that's changed is as we've moved into a digital world where in some ways that a lot of the rules have changed, the structures have flattened, more people, more collaboration, more agile, is I think what's happened is we, we feel that people have an opinion and therefore the skills of leadership are dramatically different. So the ability to lead highly effective, collaborative, agile teams is an incredibly valuable asset. I think more valuable than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. And therefore, I think, Denise, is the learning how to bring encouragement and celebration and championing of individuals has become, if not an essential component of successful leadership, that emotional intelligence piece of being able to connect with the people you lead and do that without the massive power gap there always used to be between the boss and the worker, the reality is the new teams are much flatter, much less hierarchical structures, and that's what creates this incredible synergy. So I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm rambling on possibly, and I'll interest hear what you think. No, but keep I think going. That what we're seeing is the best, the best leaders are doing this almost intuitively. When we give them vocabulary and language, which describes why they're creating that, incredibly empowering culture they're suddenly then able to go well i've been doing that i just didn't necessarily have a rationale or a framework or a tool which means that other people can now do it so i i think i think you're right on i think it's something which is more important than people realize and certainly certain personalities are not wired to celebrate either for fear that people will get complacent because we haven't yet arrived at our perfect destination or that actually we're so busy driving performance, we miss the opportunity to celebrate both the individuals and the teams and the things we do. So I just think celebration is such an important discipline in every area of life, and it only ever brings life when it's done well. And see, you mentioned skill, and it is. I just assumed you either had it or you didn't. It's kind of like one of those things you're born with, oh, I can do this, or I've got curly hair, <laughs> or whatever it is. But it is a skill, and it can be taught, and it can be absorbed, which I think an awful lot of people don't recognize, that they don't realize that, hey, you know, just because it may not be native to me that I'm aware of, I can learn it. So let's talk about that a bit. Mm. So, so if you go back to your understanding that I think it was Pete Drucker that wrote the book, you know, Culture mm -hmm. and Strategies of Breakfast. That's right. So this idea that culture – 
culture is, is this kind of often like this greenhouse. The atmosphere in an environment, a family, a team, whatever it is, is quite amorphous. It's quite hard to describe. But you kind of know whether it's healthy or not by whether things grow. So we did quite a bit of work to work out when you talk to the anthropologists and the sociologists and go, come on, talk to me about culture. And interestingly, what they said was culture is created through common language. Language is the creation of a common vocabulary or words that come to mean the same thing at the same time, at the same place with the same people group. So if you want to build a culture of something, what they would say is you have to create a common vocabulary that everybody can use. So if you th one of our things that Jeremy and I worked on at the beginning was realizing the vocabulary of the digital world is visual, not oral. So people, you know, the, the industrial world was very, very oral, book-based, memorization, words, and oratory. The new world, the digital world, is actually very visual, interactive. I think people receive something like, maybe when we were walking around, 100,000 visual cues a day, which is why we're overwhelmed. So here, when you think about it, is to go, if you want to create a common culture, you have to create a common vocabulary or language. And what we found was if we could express those simple words in a visual tool, it created a leadership language which allowed the honest conversations to happen and therefore actually to lead towards health and productivity. So I shared one where, you know, it's very difficult on a podcast when all of our tools are visual designed for children to understand. That's another key thing is the world is so busy. If you can't see the concept and apply it immediately, doesn't matter how good it was in the room, if you can't take it with you, it's almost like a tool in your tool belt, it will disappear the moment you open up your computer, walk into the next meeting. So the visual of a boomerang where it says learn to be interested before trying to be interesting Sticking at Laxium with a visual, you'd be amazed how profound that is. So to your point, emotional intelligence and communication and leadership can all be learned. But the most important thing we discovered was you had to create a toolkit that people could learn how to use the tool. And if you made it visual and designed it for children, it was so much easier for people to pass it on and people to actually multiply what they were learning from you immediately back into their world so that was our that was our acid test in these the test was with every tool jeremy and i both had educated children obviously we would teach them the tool and we go can you understand it use it and teach it to your friends and if they could do it then we were confident that the average adult and the average team and the average organization as busy as they are could actually use these tools and enjoy using them to help develop their people because most leaders are afraid of not actually being good at leading teams. So therefore mm -hmm. they give themselves an excuse. I'm too busy. It's not what I do. What they're really afraid of is appearing incompetent and not being able to do it in my experience. Imposter syndrome. And listen, I belong firmly in the keep it simple, stupid camp of doing life. You know, if, there you go. if I, I have to keep things and I like, I'm, a digital person. I dream in HTML. I'm a nerd in stilettos. But when I'm talking or when I'm writing something, I do it. I keep it Homer Simpson simple. I have to because we have so little time to make a point. 
So I completely understand what yeah. you're saying. Well, I mean, again, I mean, I'm, I'm just surfing and having fun with you. So I always say to people with, with communication, remember the first 90% of first impressions are made in the first 90 seconds of meeting someone. Mm-hmm. So you either start well or you're always trying to play catch up. And remembering that communication is only about 10% of the words you use. 55% of it is nonverbal. 30-odd percent of it is to do with tone, and only a small percentage is linked to the words you use, which is, again, when people think that they've communicated because they sent an email. I would say to them, you've probably got about a 10% chance, particularly if you're bringing challenge, that the person on the other end of you has truly understood the intent with which you communicated. And obviously, you know, we've got video conferencing has become a huge component of the COVID world and the future but it's just always saying to people particularly when you're trying to bring challenge always give people the most opportunity to see your non-verbal communication not just the words you use because that's where people often get it wrong and misunderstandings happen but you know it, it is learnable you i'm i'm living proof to that i was probably i was joking so i was one of the most least emotionally intelligent 30 year olds hopefully as a 51 year old now I've learned a lot over those years. At least I know what I should do. It's still not natural for me. That's the thing that people, you know, I say we never graduate the school of self-awareness. The moment I stop being intentional and accidental, all of those old patterns come back again. It's so annoying. I wish I could invent a pill which said, here's your emotional intelligence, you don't have to worry about it. But sadly, I haven't discovered one at the moment. If you can make one, then we can probably all retire. It'll be in butter. You know, we can wrap it up in butter. Okay, so Steve, (laughs) seriously, we cook down here. We cook anything that doesn't get away quick enough. Okay, so you're, you're talking about this isn't natural to you, but I'm listening to you, and I feel that it's very natural to you. But then you said something that's also very important, that you have to be intentional with it. So maybe there's there's a combination that you're going to be intentional to have emotional intelligence and be natural, I, I, I just feel like it's natural to you. I really do. Gosh, it's like most things, I guess, isn't it? That I always say, Denise, that you can become at best consciously competent. Sorry, at worst mm-hmm. consciously competent. There are certain things that I can become unconsciously competent at. So for me, will I, have I worked really hard at it? Yes. The most important thing is, do I have tools that help me do it? Yes, I hope I, I live. We, we, we live our culture. Um, but I think that's the encouraging piece to people is like, I hope you experience me that way. If I was to introduce you to the people who know me best and I, I live with at home, um, I think Helen would say is Steve has improved massively over the period of time that we've been together. And I think the kids would say that as well. But I think they would also say there are times when the tendencies and patterns sometimes just revert back. That's the reason why I find voices so powerful, because at least I know what I'm observing in me. And I think that's the key is to go, you know, leadership is, if leadership is influence, as we've said before, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation. It takes a very, very small amount of time to undermine one. And I think that's the piece where I'm almost going, 
how do I keep at it, recognizing that this is a, a marathon, not a sprint, and that in the end, if you are able to exhibit that the, the humility piece for leaders is is so important. Because I always say to people, you know, you hear me tell stories. I always look foolish in my stories, mainly because I usually am. But I'm always aware of going, guys, what I'm offering to people is make different mistakes than the ones I've already made. You know, I think that the reason why hopefully people are able to connect with what I'm sharing and enjoy learning is they're going, Steve is not, he didn't get given, you know, he wasn't an expert on this stuff when he started. It's a bit like the teachers who struggled to learn your subject. They're always usually the ones who have the greatest compassion for those that struggle with the same thing. So I think that's, you know, that, that's what I would say to people is to go, if you are naturally good at this, then I, I'm, I applaud you and celebrate you, and I'm slightly jealous. But for those of the more, shall we say, more driven, entrepreneurial, self-opinionated, um, on, you know, classic characters, actually, in the end, you will be far more successful if you learn some of these skill sets. And, you know, in many ways, I think for me, the, the journey of going, I take greater delight now in the success of those that I've apprenticed and trained and developed than I do in my own. But I, that wasn't the case in the early years. I was so determined to prove to everyone how competent I was that I probably allowed my competitiveness to push people away. And certain people will go, oh, you just seem so arrogant or so self-absorbed. And I look back and go, I wish it wasn't that. It probably wasn't my intent. But in many ways, I've hopefully learned both, A, it can be more productive, but it's also a maturing, which I hope we all do with age, really. Oh, we have to. I mean, that's just the natural progression of life if you're paying attention. Steve, I wanted to ask you, and thank you for sharing all of that, weapon systems. You've mentioned those before, but you say weapon yeah, systems yeah. are fun. What the heck are you talking about? Well, it, it's like there's a whole suite of tools that go with voices. You know, one of them is a weapon system to go. Every foundational voice to these, and people have to go back and listen to the last, you know, talk to hear those if they want to hear them in detail. Mm-hmm. But everyone carries their superpower can become a negative, and weapon systems are never good. Okay, some of them are more deadly than others. So, as a pioneer, first voice, remember the champions of strategy, winning, drivenness. You know, very very strategic. I carry what's called a grenade launcher. That's my weapon system. I used to think that silence was agreement in my team room. It wasn't. It was just I was, I, I was kind of turning around going, anyone disagree with the genius of my idea? And I was trained with a grenade launcher ready to take out anyone who dared to disagree with the genius of my idea. So everyone knows a pioneer, even if you don't know the vocabulary language, of people who constantly blow people up because they disagree or they challenge or they waste their time. So pioneers always have to put a safety on because there's never a good time to use a grenade launcher indoors and nobody ever forgets it when you when you do blow people up. So that's one of them. Connectors, connectors use what we call cyber warfare. So remember, connectors are the champions of communication, relational networks, amazing at sitting in that intersection between the organization and the marketplace. If you wrong a connector, what they do is they, they don't blow you up in such a visible way as a pioneer. They subtly undermine your influence and position. 
by just dropping little, you know, seeds of poison about you and your motivation and character. And before you know it, you're persona non grata and you've no idea why. So connectors always have to be careful when they feel wronged by somebody. They can take people's reputation out using what we call cyber warfare. Um, guardians, um, remember the guardians are champions of due diligence, stewardship, efficient running assistance and organization. The guardians weapon system needs is what we call the interrogation room because it's a bit like going, when a guardian is asking good questions to get to truth, it's helpful. But if a guardian doesn't trust the person or they don't feel they're being listened to, it can often feel like you're being interrogated by them. Um, and it's almost like you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent to them. And nobody really likes that experience. Creative voice has two weapon systems. Um, so the creative pioneer, which is the much more rational, logical, analytical type creative, they use what we call a sniper rifle. Well, that's not a great weapon either because the, they often sit quietly listening in the meeting. And if they think someone's getting above themselves or being arrogant or whatever it might be, you'll just hear a as one armor-piercing round of logic goes straight through the heart of the person that they feel is getting above themselves. And that's never good either. Then you have the creative feeler, the creative connector. So very relational, very, very altruistic, very, very idealistic, almost in their desire for the world to be a better place. Their weapon system is what we call the Hulk. So what they do is you look at it and think, well, they'll never do that until you attack a value that they are important to them or somebody they feel responsible for. And then all of a sudden, the shirt bursts, the green comes out, and they'll, they'll take you out. And then lastly, we have the nurturer. Remember the, the champion of relationships, caring for others, team player, always thinking of other people. So people go, how can a nurturer have a weapon system? Well, nurturers, what they do is they have this incredible, so they carry it around with them, almost like a first aid kit for every occasion. They have an ability to have presents for everyone that's handwritten cards, everything you need to care for people. And what nurturers do is when they feel taken for granted, where someone's been mean to them, where someone's just not valuing what they bring, they never withdraw everything. But what they do do is they withdraw the care package. So all the lovely things, the nice things that they do for people because they want to show them how much they love them, how much they care for them, how much they want to be around them, everything goes to being contractual and functional and whatever is the minimum legal requirement of what it was they expected to do, whether that's in a work context or whether that's in a relationship. A relationship. So uh, you just described me. Understand. <laughs> I thought I might now, <laughs> I have to go sit with myself now. It's going to be very sad. Well, if it was hard for you, Denise, to understand that I've rumbled the fact that, that you would draw the care package. Oh, yeah. It, I've you been imagine known it's to like for me dealing with the fact that the grenade launcher, that's a much more it, – It's. I feel so bad when I – I have to apologize to so many people. I've learned this when you see Denise about the nurture and the care package because Helen, my wife, is a nurturer. And occasionally what happens is I suddenly realize – all the amazing things that Helen does to make me feel amazing and cared for, I've got. I don't immediately know what I've done, but I know there's something that happens. So what I do now is I, I book a dinner, we go out, and I say, Helen, 
I would like to apologize. I don't 100% know what it is that I did, but I know that I'm really sorry about it. And I want to take this dinner to understand what it is that I can learn from. And I want you to forgive me because I really want my care package back. And I want you to help me grow. So <laughs> that took me many years for me to realize that was what was going on. <laughs> Good for her and good for you. Listen, we've only got about seven minutes. This happens every time we get on okay. on a call. We just we have so much to cover that, that an hour isn't going to do it. So I'm looking at Giant TV. I'm I've, you know interviewed you twice. Yeah. Jeremy yeah. has been on the show. Coaching is a huge, huge industry right now. As most things happen, they kind of blow up. The virtual assistance industry blew up. Now the podcast industry is blowing up. There are coaches and then there are coaches. And I'll be honest, I don't consider my co- myself a coach, but I am a consultant. And I'm fascinated yeah. with the different yeah. tools that, that you guys have. So can you take the next seven or eight minutes and let's talk about Giant? Sure. I mean, this is the difference between me being a Brit who's a terrible salesperson, but I'll, I'll do my best. I think that I, well, we need right, to know the because a, there's too many coaches. The whole I'm, world is a coach. Oh, God, I'm getting so tired. I'm a coach. No, you're not. Just stop it. Learn something before you tell me you're a coach. So I think the COVID, a lot of people had to pivot and try and work out. What could I do that I can do from home? And I think there's also a growing realization that actually there's a huge desire to help people and do something meaningful with purpose. But I think what your point is to go is it's always worth doing due diligence before you invest lots of money. Lots of money. Yeah. So I would always say to people, if someone's asking you to part with a large cash sum up front um, in order for you to join their certification program or their accreditation, I would always be slightly cautious because I know a lot of people that have paid a lot of money and it's not what they got wasn't good, but it didn't actually equip them with all the skills they needed because it's one thing to know how to coach. It's another thing to know how to find clients, how to use additional resources and how to scale what you do. So one of the things we did with Giant is we we moved it to a monthly fee, which is very, very small by comparison. So we were always having to earn the right for the coach to, to stay connected to us. And I think what we've done is we've, we've, we've built a world-class toolkit that's been battle-hardened and road-tested and we, are, we use every day. But what we found was teaching people and certifying them in information wasn't enough. What most people needed was they needed a way of in many ways, people hand-holding them through, how do I build a business? How do I actually get clients? And the key thing we found was, how do I feel that I'm part of a community where I'm learning with and from the people we do? So I'm not saying we got this right in one go, but I look at the process we have at the moment where every month in Giant, I think there's about 30 places, we take 30 coaches, we put them in a cohort, we spend two months intensively working with them to help them experience their own personal transformation first. We always say you can't give what you don't possess yourself. But also, it's not just about learning the content. It's about helping people understand how they do marketing, how they actually can sell their services. Some of the best coaches in the world can't sell anything. And the other thing you need in the new world is you have to have a platform 
a, a digital solution that actually allows you not just to work with an individual, but with their team and with whole organizations. So, you know, I can say this because I'm so proud of the team and I'm not really involved in this day today because they're way better now than ever Jeremy and I were in the beginning when we did it. But they've created the most incredible process for taking people that got either starting their first coaching business or experienced mature coaches and consultants that want to add giant into their portfolio. I think we've done probably the best job I can see in the industry of giving people a chance to get on board and basically by paying a small monthly fee. If it doesn't add enough value, you can stop it rather than paying five, ten thousand up front and all of a sudden you find ah, this doesn't do what it is I wanted to do. So that's what giant, what we call guides, you know, we talk about learning how to help people make those journeys, not just as individuals, but as teams and as organizations and a toolkit to do that. So how does that sound, Denise? Ask some more clarifying questions to this Brit who's struggling. But that's, that's really what we've been offering and finding huge success with, really. And I'm going to go back to I'm a consultant. I consider myself to be a very good consultant yeah. to my clients and to people who may become clients. And sometimes I'll consult for free just because I think somebody really needs mm. that before they can move on to the next thing. So, but I'm not a coach. I don't consider myself a coach at all. What am I missing? What's the difference? You're very wise, by the way, in terms of consulting, because people usually pay more for consultants than they do for coaches. So we use the phrase coach, consultant, almost interchangeably. I noticed that. That's why I was questioning. I'm not sure what the difference is. Because the toolkit is the same. I think historically, Denise, coaching has tended to be assumed to be more to do with like one-to-one, so that I'm your coach, which is a little bit more like a therapist, um, whereas actually the consultant is usually a more strategic role where you're oh. maybe helping leaders and teams make strategic decisions about the future. Coaching in its purest form tends to be about creating the context where people are able to share their ideas more fully, whereas the consultant is usually they're listening and they're really understanding their client, but they're also then being prepared to bring some suggestions, some ideas, and be a little bit more, maybe have more opinion into the conversation. So I create, typical me, I create a hybrid of that. I would say that I'm a, I'm a team performance coach because in the end for me, if I'm working with a leader, I want to help them win in their world. And a lot of the time, if I, what we found was if we just work with individual leaders, the issues they told us were the issues that we coached them on weren't actually the issues, often the leader is the issue themselves. And so therefore, coaching in the context of a team environment against where their KPIs are the things we measure our success against, that's been one of the ways I think that we've been able to bridge the gap again. Why would you pay for something unless it's going to help you be more effective in whatever you're measuring in that process? The toolkits work. I think that's the thing. If you love coaching one-to-one and do that, then Giant Toolkit works. If you like doing the consulting like you do and probably like I do more, then in the end, you have resources that you can help put into a whole organization. You know, we work with some of the biggest companies in the world and they'll use Giant's vocabulary and language as that common leadership cultural thread. And that's really what we're equipping people to be able to do, whether that's with a very small 
organization all the way up to you know people like the google and the american air force and other multinational companies who are always asking how do we create consistent leadership in our organization you know what i'm i'm listening very carefully we've got about 10 seconds can you stay with me a few more minutes or do you have to be somewhere else okay good good. just so the audience knows we will still be recording so you won't lose the end of this well you'll pick it up when you go listen and download later in the day. When I was saying that I consider myself a consultant, I think, in fact, I know after listening to you that I've really been limiting my own self-talk by saying, well, you know, I can coach about web development. I can coach about podcasting. I'm a bit of a, you know, I know a lot about podcasting. I would consider myself to be an expert. I never considered myself to be a leadership coach or consultant and I think I was really holding myself back Mm. by just putting myself into two little boxes that I know all about and not going any further here's the thing with nurturers Denise if you're a nurturer first voice I always say that you have to keep making sure the box grows doesn't shrink so you if you believe you are the competent of what you do then you'll stick at that Here's what I'd say to you is to go, the skill sets that allow you to be an expert in what you've already done are the same methodology that would allow you to apply that into other areas. So again, you need to, it takes time and you need tools. But if you ask me, would somebody like you, for example, love going through the giant process? Well, you've loved every tool that I've shared with you. In a sense, it's an upgrade of what you're already doing. The lovely thing about giant is it's not saying, don't keep doing what you're already doing. It's saying, how can you do what you're already doing more effectively? But are there ways that potentially for people like you, you could expand what you're able to offer to your clients? Because somebody like you is, you're a people person. And in a sense where you find people, people who can listen, engage and draw out the way you do, it's a very short step from having some tools which says, you know, how would you, what about this? Or what about that lens? Or what about that insight? And, you know, Giant isn't, it, the lovely thing is, it's not like there's millions of tools. Uh, you've heard a number of them from me. And I think that's the thing that is depending on the person, but you can't, you need a toolkit in order to be able to do something effectively well. And I would say that, you know, some people write their own tools and toolkit. Giant, you know, you're effectively looking at the, the lifetime of learning and failure codification and an amazing team over the last eight years that have honed and refined both the tools and the process that can, I mean, honestly, can help anyone who has a heart to explore. I'd love to look at what is being a coach, consultant, or how do I just improve what I'm already doing? So I'm convinced, Denise, that you can do this. I am going to do it. And, and I'm telling you on the radio right now, I'm telling the world, I am getting ready to jump straight in. I've been looking, I've been listening, I've been watching, I'm in. And, and I, 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 I love it, Denise, and here's my thing to use on the radio is whenever you're tempted to that imposter syndrome of going, oh my goodness, I'll stick to what I'm already highly competent at, then in the end you can always phone a friend or text me over here in the UK and I will be your pioneer sponsor that will keep reminding you of why you decided to do this in the first place and will keep telling you what the world sees on the other side of you, even when you're tempted to go, 
but what if I'm incompetent and let people down? And that's usually the barrier for nurturers in terms of advancing and keeping pressing into new things because it's a lot easier to do the things you know you're not going to let anyone down with. So most nurturers is never about themselves. It's fear of letting others down, which holds them back from being the amazing people you are. So I'm going to be your sponsor. Um, the oh. team will do an amazing job with you. Thank but I'm you. I'm going to make sure that you don't give up. And I'm going to... Uh, so whatever I have, you're welcome to, Denise. I'm a, I'm a champion of nurturers the world over because I think the world, I know the world, will be a far more just, far more kind, far more compassionate um, and relational place if more nurturers were in senior leadership and having bigger influence. And you represent 43% of the population as well. So, you know, there's a reason why uh, I think God had a bias towards making a ratio of one to seven or one to six even between pioneers and nurturers. There's, there's six nurturers to every pioneer. So usually that means you're, we cause that much damage that the Lord had to make uh, some nurturers to go and make sure to care for all the brokenness that characters like me created. But I'm thrilled about that. I'm really excited. Thank you. Oh, I'm doing my happy dance. You can't see me, thank goodness, because it's a podcast, but I'm doing my happy dance in my chair. I have to tell you, though, you just said something to me that made me going to go, what? My eyebrows went up a bit. You said that I was a people person. I'm an introvert. I don't consider myself a people person, but apparently you do. So something I didn't know about myself. You're a depth people person, not a breadth people person. So what what does that mean? What what it means is, Denise, is you probably have a smaller number of significant relationships. Very small. Go, I keep them tight and I keep them forever. You, there you go. So in the end, you see, is it's it's so you're so in the end, you're wired for depth more than breadth. That's ironic, considering your podcast goes to so many thousands, thousands of people. But it's actually giving of yourself is something which is a depth experience for you. But what I'll guarantee is, everyone who's made it into your inner circle of people where you know them and they know you, experiences you as a really, really significantly, deeply committed people person. I'll be darned. I, I honestly, seriously, I am going to have to sit and think about that because I have never considered myself a people person. And recently a friend of mine, we were talking, and I said, you know, I don't know that I'm all that, empathetic and she wished she was driving and she actually stopped the car so she could turn over and fully <laughs> face me instead of getting us into a, an accident she said are you out of your mind I said what I mean she really took me apart during that drive she said do you not see yourself clearly I don't so I need to be quickly very immersed in your tools there's no question about that well, what I love is, you see, is what we found is, is that, that we take people in the first part of the first of those two months. That first month is really about self-discovery for you. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, if all you're doing is selling a program or tools, people kind of get used to that. Whereas once you've experienced your own liberation, your own sense of, oh, my goodness, this helps me be me you'll find that when you share it with other people, the stories you're sharing connect because it's no longer just a program. It's something which has been transformational for you. So the, the axiom we use is you can't give away what you don't possess. 
So the more liberated, the more free to be a champion of you at your best you are, the, me- the more compelling that is to other people. But you have way more influence than you realize. I mean, you know, part of me goes, I'd, I, I love the fact, and I'm also interested in the fact that you, you are unfindable on social media in the sense of, I don't know what you look like. You, nope, you do a podcast does. where I've literally got to dial a number, and I go, what? part of me is just utterly fascinated to find out what is it that lies behind that, really. But I go, you know, each human being is unique in the same way snowflakes are. You know, we may have a similar personality by nature, but your nurture is truly unique to you as an individual. No one had the same upbringing. No one's had the same successes, failures, all those things that go with it. And critically, we all make choices every day. So that's the reason why I love that analogy, because it means even if somebody is another nurturer like you, it doesn't mean that you're the, the same, because every single person is truly unique because of the variables that's there. But you, I, I think the thing is, you're gonna. I can't wait to hear what happens on the journey of self-discovery for you, because I think you know. I know you well enough to know, even in the short time we're together, that you will engage with this fully, and you will, you know, you'll take everything you can for you and. I hope you, like many others, have found over time, it's like, actually, whatever else you choose to do with it, it will actually be something which is life-giving to you. And there'll be hopefully quite a few ahas, even if you'll have to put up with listening to my voice a lot more than perhaps you uh, would want to. So I, I apologize in advance because a lot of the training in the beginning, Jeremy and I kind of recorded and have you know, put that in as foundational. But there you go. That's my little disclaimer for you. I am seriously excited about this. And, you know, I've been looking, like I said, I've been looking, watching, listening. You know, I follow you on all social media and I've, you know, listened to the videos. This has not been a light decision for me at all because, again, I don't consider myself a coach. But once I understood what Giant is and what you bring to the table, and more importantly, Steve, what I can learn about myself, I quit being a weenie about creating my products and creating this. I'm a weenie. I mean, I just, and I'm a subject matter expert in more than one area. Mm. I haven't done a darn thing about it, and I'm tired of it. So here I am. Come on, girl. This is going to be awesome. So I think as well, I would say to people, you know, I know there's a, there's a link that you guys are so cool, but um, if there are other people listening um, who go, you know, I'd really love to find out a little bit more. The lovely thing about the lovely thing about Giant is we we really try and make sure that we hear you first. And if we don't think it's a great fit for you, then we'll say no. But if if people are out there thinking, you know, I'd love to explore adding Giant into part of my coaching, consulting, practice, or business, or even just thinking, you know, I'd really love to do something new, then in some ways a small monthly fee allows you to go through all the training. Obviously, you can turn it off whenever you want to. People don't. But I think there's a link, isn't there, Denise, we put for you know people who are part of the podcast so they can actually have special royal treatment at the giant end. So I know you'll put it in the show notes, but I know that the trace link link for giant.tv backslash your partner success radio. And if people use that, then basically that link will take you to set up a call, to watch a... You know, watch an introduction. We're trying to make it as, as easy as we can for people to explore Giant and, you know, hopefully for some of you to become part of the growing global family. I love the fact we've got, we've got coaches and consultants now in, in every continent in the world 
and um, you know the tools the tools and the language work so you know that, there you go that's my I hope I hope that's been enough of the passion has come through so I believe in it without it being horribly cliched in the sense that we're trying to sell something so not at okay? all okay? it's perfect and I really wanted people to hear from you because it's one thing for me to say yes I'm going to jump all in and I'm going to do this I haven't done it yet and I'm going to do it today as soon as we're we're complete here but I wanted people to hear you so they know why I'm doing it why I think it's so important and listen I believe in coaching I believe in mentors but I'm really careful about who I will bring on as a coach or a mentor they have to prove to me, and you have proven, you and Jeremy both. Well, thank you. I don't take that lightly, and um, I, I, I receive the gift that that is to me, so thank you. Listen, Steve, it's been fantastic speaking with you. And we're not done. I'm going to get you to come back again at some point, probably <laughs> after I have meandered my way through this so I can go, look what I did. If you if you if you think that you you and your audience want to hear more from me, Denise, then I, I'm in. I think that's a brilliant idea. I think what you okay. can do is you can give them maybe have the, maybe give them little updates every now and again and going, hey, this is what oh. I'm learning, so that maybe right. actually you allow you to be sometimes the subject of your own podcast, so that actually there's a little ah. update, maybe five minutes. Five minutes. This is Denise update. This is going through my giant certification. This is what I learned this week, or this is what's going on. So, I think you'll find that the people who um, listen and love connecting with you on your podcast, and they want to hear more about you than you think. So, if you're listening, by the way, and you agree with me, reach out to Denise and tell her that. <laughs> but I think she could have her her own little five minute slot, which is this is what I've been learning this week. I think it'd be great. You know what? I will do that. And oddly enough, Steve, I actually just told one of my clients to do exactly that. So I'm taking my own advice and I'm taking your advice. So thank you. Listen, I'll let you go. I know we're 13 minutes past and I really appreciate you staying with me. It's just, it's so important that we got through all of this and I didn't want to cut it off. So it has been, as usual, just fantastic speaking with you and I thank you for all the terrific tips and advice and the fact that you're going to be on the other side of the world working with me on this and you know basically saying you got this Denise you you know you can do it I can't even tell you how much I appreciate that so before we say goodbye I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes anywhere we're anywhere where you consume your business podcast. It's honestly difficult to throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So just look for us and take us along on your success journey. Steve, any last thoughts before I let you go? Uh, only one thing, Denise, is I only ever do my own coaching on Zoom. Uh, as I help you navigate this journey, then I'm actually going to see you because my communication means I need to see who you are. So that's my, that's my tip. That's my thing to you is go, I'm going to invest in you, but it's going to be on Zoom, not purely on auditory um, on a telephone call. So there you go. Okie dokie. But I don't have a camera on my, my uh, desktop, so you still won't see me. You're going to need to get a... one, girl. It... Oh, okay. Well, listen, I will. <laughs> now I need to go throw up. Okay, so now I will let you go. And again, thank you for everything. Thank you so much. 
So everybody go back and listen to that first podcast and have a terrific day. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.